Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Callum Robinson to my Colin Grant. He's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? You've had a bit of a chaotic hour, I understand. Yeah, I've tried to move my desk around as as anybody who views this will see. It's on the other side of the room. It's not big news, but I've smashed glass. There's broken glass everywhere and uh, getting out uh, of this desk after we finish recording is going to be like walking over hot coals. It'll be fun. You're just furious about Derby losing this weekend? I've got used to it now. That's not, that's not the case. It's just a case of knowing I've got to spend another couple of hours with you. I'm just throwing <laughs> things around. So charming. Such a charming boy. On the show this week, we have John Spark. He's from the Bournemouth YouTube channel. Sherry's Red Army. John, how's it going? Yeah, doing pretty good. Thank you. How about you? I am wonderful. Thank you. Also here, second time lucky, is Louis <laughs> Bent from the Baggies podcast. Louis, you were, of course, meant to be on the show last week, but we're... Locked out of your house. We have plenty of concerned listeners asking whether you made it back into your house. Can you now confirm for us that you are indeed back home? I am safe and well. My keys, my spare set of keys from my nan have been found and I'm back inside my house now. Thank you very much to all the concerned listeners who uh, who reached out and, and asked if I was okay last week. But yeah, great to be on the show again. Wonderful stuff. It's a Christmas miracle, you might say. <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast. He's second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games from the past weekend in the championship, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end. Before we get underway, ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you of the Skybet EFL Rewards app. If you have a go at their predictor game, then you can win some big prizes like the cost of a season ticket for your club, codes for Football Manager 2022, and Puma EFL match balls. You've just got to correctly predict as many games as possible and you'll be in with a chance of winning best of all it's completely free so you may as well have a go my yeah download the app now we'll kick things off with the biggest thigh rubber of the season so far fulham v bournemouth it finished one all somehow uh john this was a great entertainment for the neutral did you think bournemouth were perhaps a bit fortunate though uh just a bit when the first half was over I remember sort of, you know, jotting your voice note down and coming back to it today, sort of being that feeling that the game was relatively even really in the first half up until about the 44th minute where Captain Fantastic, uh, Steve Cook, uh, ends up putting through two uh, saves on um, on the ground with his chest. Before that, the game plan had gone relatively well for Bournemouth, I think. Um, then our goal came from absolutely nowhere. The FIFA kickoff glitch comes back from a few years ago. Um, was one of the best goals I think I've ever, ever seen this season, without a doubt. And then from then on, we just held back. We just defended and defended and defended. And this is the Parker ball that I think most Fulham fans were, were saying that we were going to get, which we've seen in bits and pieces. But against a strong team, Parker's inclination is to just basically defend as much as possible when we're in, in, a, in a decent position against a, you know, a, any level of side. We bring on Ben Pearson to make it a, just a, a you know relatively deep 4-4-2. And the goal was coming. You know, XG is about is over three for Fulham. The amount of chances they created uh, without actually having to make too many great saves, but to come out of there with a one-one draw is absolutely delighted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Steve Cook, that is probably the best performance I've seen from a centre half this season. He was just unbelievable. But it, the crazy thing is, it's only his second league game of this campaign. But bloody hell, he's got to be playing more after that, hasn't he? Yeah, it's a really interesting, well, it's kind of odd, I think, for, for Bournemouth fans to see how, how Steve Cook has started this season because he was kind of injured, we think, in pre-season, but it wasn't entirely sh sure because he was sending a few cryptic tweets out. He was training on his own in Bournemouth while the, while the club had gone on their pre-season tour in Spain. Um, and, you know, as the club captain, as, you know, one of the biggest legends of the club in in our modern era, we just didn't know what was going on. And he basically started the season as fifth-choice centre-back and he just wasn't in the picture at all. Wasn't on the bench. Wasn't didn't seem to be injured. Um, but now, with injuries, with just basically being forced um, to bring him back in, you know, he's shown what a quality centre back he is. He could definitely still perform in in the Premier League. I'm very surprised there wasn't a Prem side that tried to pick him up. So um, yeah, now that he's come back into the side. You know, you can argue it's difficult to drop him, but the thing is, you've got Gary Cahill that's next to him, who is a Champions League winning centre back um, that you can't exactly just push out of the team for. And Lloyd Kelly's probably been our most influential centre back of the season, and really, really important to helping out us play out from the back. So when he comes back in, we may still may see Cook drop to the bench again. But performances like that are exactly why he's the club captain. He's he's immense on his day. 
Yeah, absolutely. Justin Marco Silva will be scratching his head how he only got a point from this game. But it shows even a side as solid at the back as Bournemouth can be exposed by Fulham because they created so many chances in this game, didn't they? Yeah, they were busy. They're very, very busy. I think because the game was quite open, but even in the first half, it didn't really suit Fulham. But as soon as Fulham started to gain a little bit of control, they did start to create uh, quite a few chances. And as you say, they'll be scratching their heads as to how they didn't come away with three points. But if you put that level of performance in against the second best team in the league, it's going to stand you in good stead for the season. So positive outlook, definitely, for Fulham. They did play well, just unfortunately they couldn't get the three points. Spot on. John, we've been saying the race for the top two might end up being not much of a race at all the past couple of weeks. have given other teams encouragement, but right now, do you reckon you and Fulham could end up cruising back to the Premier League? I think that's the most likely outcome um, as things stand. But, you know, you do have a lot of teams that are coming up on our heels. The QPR are putting form back together again. You've West Brom picking up a win again. Um, over the weekend, you've got you know the likes of Stoke. They could pick themselves up again. Coventry, obviously, up there unexpectedly. So there's a gap, but the gap isn't so substantial with 20 games left in the season that the they couldn't close that gap. But Bournemouth have been in not great form recently, um, and Fulham, I would say, neither uh, the same too. When we pick ourselves back up again and start pulling those wins out on a regular basis, like we had earlier in the season we might well make that gap bigger again. But, you know, there's, there's a bit of time to go there and we've got still got some players to come back from injury. So things could still change quite quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I also love the Dom Solanke song as well, by the way. That's been in my head all day. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the game on Saturday lunchtime, which was a big game between two teams sat in the playoffs. Coventry against West Brom. It finished 2-1 to the Baggies, their first win in five games. And I thought, by and large, it was a pretty comfortable win, really, Louis. Yeah, I think certainly I think the game was really won with the first half performance, I'd say, for, for Albion. I think, you know, in the first half, Coventry were kept trying to play out from the back, which I thought was a, a little bit kind of naive of them to sort of do that against an Ishmael side that I guess hasn't been pressing so well of late. As you mentioned, not winning in five games has been pretty a, a, a bit of a struggle for Albion fans to watch. But I think Coventry playing out from the back in that first half especially really helped us to sort of come on to them. And obviously you saw with the first goal, Callum Robinson nicked the ball in the middle of the park and played through uh, Carl and Grant to score. But yeah, I think the, the the pressing was a big thing for me in this game. It's something that's been missing, I think, a bit and the intensity over the past uh, five games. But I think definitely first half, we were we were very good and I think that's where the game's really won for us. Second half, we did tail off and I think the intensity level dropped quite significantly, which is why Coventry nearly ended up getting themselves back into the game, which really had me on edge, especially after their after their late goal to, to start to get back into the game. But I thought on the, on the whole, it was it was fairly comfortable. Definitely first half was for me was 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 where the game was won for Albion. Yeah, there was a bit of a handball claim for the second goal, to put it politely. Yeah. <laughs> but West Brom had a hatful of other chances that they should have taken, really. But it was a much-needed win for the Albion and none more so for Valerie and Ishmael, who was reportedly under a lot of pressure from the higher-ups at West Brom. Louis, do you think he might have been in trouble had he lost this game? I wouldn't say trouble as it. Well, actually, I say that. I saw that we had our chief executive in in the stands for this one, which I thought was a, a big surprise. So maybe there was a bit more to that game than perhaps I originally thought. I was going into it thinking it's just you know it, he's he's definitely got a few more games to go until he really really is in trouble because four a four year deal is going to cost quite a lot of money to to kind of pay him out if he ends up getting sacked. But seeing the chief executive there, you know that was that kind of gave me a little worrying sign because they're never you know none of the board are really ever at the game so the fact that he was there maybe thought there may be a decision to make if if um if we were to lose but yeah i i personally am i'm valin myself i've i've got no real uh issues with him apart from perhaps some tactical tweaks in game i think he needs to make a bit more frequently to just ensure that we can kind of adapt per opponent because at the moment uh, over the past five games I feel like he's been playing the same way for every single one I think that's like I've seen a quote on there on, on Twitter saying insanity is, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results and I feel like that's the way he's been going down really with with Ishmael and his tactics but I feel like if he if he continues to to, to pull out performances like that in that first half I feel like he's, he's, he's going to be okay but yeah certainly tensions have been rising amongst Albion fans and, and lots of people want him gone people calling him the French Tony Pulis which I think is a little harsh but <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm personally valiant myself and, and I wouldn't like to see him in, in any trouble because I feel like to give him the chance to build, you need to give him the budget, you need to give him the, the chance to really, really get a squad together that he wants. And I feel like uh, after four months, I feel like he's not really had that after spending literally nothing in the transfer window. So yeah, uh, I'm valiant myself, but I think uh, a lot of fans were, were thinking that he might be gone after that game if we were to lose. French Pulis, that's a good one, <laughs> isn't it? Um, for Coventry, Justin, they weren't great, were they? In fact, it was probably their worst performance of the season so far. And that's good news for you and your anti-Coventry agenda. Yeah, I severely dislike Coventry. Don't I? I'm trying to going to try and word this without infuriating the city <laughs> of Coventry. Um, I think what I said in midweek about them underperforming and being got at defensively and conceding a lot of goals was on show here. I think the first goal, losing the ball in the middle of the park, Darbo allowing Carl and Grant to get through quite easily was very naive. And then, yes, the pen, um, the, the second goal for West Brom was handball, but to allow Callum O'Hare um, in a 2-1, to put him in a 2-1 situation with the uh, at the throw-in and allow Furlong to come in to put the ball in was was naive at best and the passing wasn't great either. It was a poor performance from Coventry, slightly better in the second half, but not not great overall. No. Louis, as it stands, you and QPR are probably the most likely contenders to mount any sort of a challenge to Bournemouth and Fulham for the top two. Do you still see that as a possibility at all, finishing in any automatic races? I think if you'd have asked me on maybe Saturday morning before the game, I may have I'd have said a resounding no, but that performance, in, especially in the first half, did give me a little bit of confidence that, you know, there have been rumours that he's lost the dressing room and, and stuff like that. You know, Snodgrass reportedly, you know, being flung out the door in, in January. But I think that, I think that, but, you know, that there is a chance maybe that we can catch them. I think it's six points between ourselves and, and Bournemouth or something like that. So perhaps there's a chance, but I think it just needs more consistency. And I think it requires a, a, a natural finisher in January, to be honest, to, to be able to propel ourselves. Because, you know, you look at Bournemouth, you look at Fulham, they've got Mitrovic they got Solanke, you know, there are goal scorers in their team. I, I can't quite see an out-and-out goal scorer in our team. Obviously, Colin Grant's done really well. But I think if we get the goal scorer in, I think there's a chance that we could go on a little run that maybe just pushes us into it and pushes us back into the race. I mean, it's not a massive gap, but it, it, there is a chance if we can gain some momentum. But, you know, the performances have been very stop-start over the past um, past few games. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, but I'm, I'm, I'm not that confident currently. I'll, we'll see what we do in January, but I think at the moment I'll say no, but... There, there is a chance that we can get some momentum together then, then maybe. Lovely stuff. John and Louis, cheers for now. We'll come back to you both to play Simon Grayson's Hate for Late later on. In the meantime, Justin and I are going to go for a wander around the grounds. We'll begin with a Lancashire derby between Blackburn and Preston. It finished 1-0 to Rovers, thanks to, guess who, Ben Brereton Diaz. Ryan Hildred is from the podcast Rovers Chat. Ryan, how does it feel to have bragging rights here? Yeah, it's really good to have the bragging rights because uh, Preston have had our number, uh, particularly at Ewood Park in recent seasons. Don't think we've won at home to them since 2001 or some at Daft and certainly we'd only won one in the last nine games. So always seemed to be a bit of a bogey side for us. So for us to get the job done, um, obviously 1-0, brilliant goal from the man Brereton Diaz um, as ever. Um, and just a really good atmosphere, really good hard work and performance. And um, yeah, first half we weren't great. Um you know, I think Preston can probably say that they were the better side in that first half. But second half, you've got to say that Rovers raised it, um, dealt with the conditions much better, much more on the front foot and just a really good battling, hardworking performance. So it was a really enjoyable one, a great day at Ewood Park. Um, nice to have something to warm the fans up because it was lashing it down with rain and cold. And um, yeah, obviously the table's looking nice for us as well. Yeah, well, talking about the table, you're absolutely flying at the moment, aren't you? You're one of the form teams, you're in the top six, you're only a few points off the top two. So how are you feeling about that? Do you think you'll be able to hang around there as the season goes on? I'm a bit torn on this one because there's a lot of Rovers fans who are fearing a bit of a drop-off after Christmas because that has happened to us before. We've been in this position before and, and kind of tailed off and had some bad form but um, one of the things we've not consistently done is be in the top six since being relegated from the Premier League so there does seem to be a bit of a different mentality around this Rovers squad and it all seems to be coming together a little bit and do you know what we're coming up to game 23 soon um, you know halfway through the season and it looks like we're going to be in that top six at that point so as a fan you've just got to believe and, and enjoy the ride Um the squad still does feel a little bit thin. You know, it would just take an injury to someone like John Buckley or Dara Lenihan or Ben Brereton. And, and that might have a bit of a devastating impact. But, 
you know, there does have to come a point where as a fan, you, you just start to believe and hope that we might get playoffs. And, and we certainly wouldn't have said that at the start of the season. So we've got to be confident and enjoy it. Yeah, the squad depth is one of the things that I've been concerned about, Ryan. The other thing I've been concerned about is what happens in January, because you've got some key players who are out of contract at the end of the season. I imagine quite a few of them will be subject to a lot of interest from Premier League clubs even, um, none more so than Ben to Diaz. Put yourself in the shoes of whoever's in charge of transfers at Blackburn. Say you get a twenty twenty-five million pound offer for him. What are you doing? Again, this is another one where I'm torn because we do have a lot of players, as you say, coming up to the end of their contract. So if that 20 or 25 million can secure the futures of Joe Rothwell, Dara Lenihan, uh, Thomas Kaminsky, you know, important players, you know, you do need a squad, not just one player. Then in the pure economic terms, you know, we sign Brereton for 7 million. And if you're selling him for 20, 25 million, then, you know, that's good business by the club, isn't it? And obviously we can reinvest it back into the team, particularly with the money that we've still got in the bank for Adam Armstrong. But then there's the other side of the coin. Um, I think most people accept that this championship season, this season is one of the weaker ones that we've seen for a while. Hence why there are teams like Rovers up in that top six, um, you know, with the greatest respect to us all. Um, you know, the pandemic's affected all clubs and, and squad depths around the division are a bit weaker. So you kind of think, is that a good thing to do? You know, if this is going to be Rovers' one chance this season, then is selling Brereton the right thing to do? So I think my answer would be no. Let's see where we can get to for the end of the season. But we might just have to accept the consequences that we might lose Lenihan or Rothwell because we've not been able to tie him onto that contract. Thank you, Ryan. Justin, same question I asked Ryan. If you're Blackburn... And a £25 million bid comes in for Ben Brereton Diaz in January. Do you reject or accept? I'd, I mean, I'd accept. If it's £25 million or £20 million, I'd definitely accept. Um, I think that's just me being greedy, though. Uh, but that's a lot of money you can reinvest back into your team um, and potentially get a couple more players who can really benefit the side. I know Ben Brereton Diaz has been one of the, the best strikers in the division this season, but £25 million, come on. Yeah, it is worth pointing out as well. His contract expires at the end of the season. Apparently, someone told me they've got an option to extend. Mm, I saw that. Um, so if that is the case, then maybe it doesn't matter as much. I, I don't know why Blackburn haven't extended it yet, if that is the case. <laughs> but uh, um, there you go. But it is tricky, isn't it? Because getting £40 million for Adam Armstrong and Raritan Diaz is good business, isn't it? But if he does go, then for me, any chance Blackburn have of getting in the top six would automatically be gone I'm not saying Blackburn are a one-man team but we're talking about someone who has nearly literally scored half of their goals and I remember at the start of the season when we were asking the question who's going to replace Armstrong's goals little did we know the Chilean sensation was going to be a world beater this season but if he goes then I'm not sure anyone will step up this time because it's either got to be Sam Gallagher or Tyrese Dolan isn't it so what Mm -hmm. I'm trying to say is I'd sell if they had someone else in mind who they could go out there and get with the money that they get from him going. Because if they do sell, then it's got to be reinvested back into the squad, hasn't it? It simply has to. Otherwise, Blackburn are just going to be a, a, another average championship team, which they have been for you know the past two seasons mm-hmm. now, really, haven't they? But they're yeah. going well at the moment. Um, obviously, Preston losing this game, Justin, and uh, they did have a penalty shout turned down for handball, didn't they? And I've got to say, that looked pretty obvious to me. It, it was. It was one of the more obvious. I mean, there's quite a few this weekend, but this one was one of the more obvious ones. It's not um, deliberate, but the rule of law is if it is your hand, it's humble. And um, Neon Bay's hand is probably halfway across Blackburn, isn't it? You know, is that is is, is that um, is that obvious? I'm surprised the referee. Did. In fact, the referee did have a very good view of it. He literally. Um, about 12 or 13 yards away. Um, it's bizarre how he didn't see it, but yeah, for, unfortunate for Preston. Mm. I think it would have been undeserved if it was given, to be honest, because Preston offered very little in this game, it's got to be said. James Breitling on Twitter asks us, why have Preston still got a postman in charge? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, predictably, losing this game has led to fans once again calling for Frankie McAvoy to be sacked. Because as soon as they lose, the pitchforks are out and they're mm-hmm. demanding justice. They could go on a crazy winning streak, but as soon as they lose a game, they'll be demanding that he's sacked as soon as afterwards. That's just how it's been with Preston this season. Whatever the case, Preston's at 18th, nine points above the bottom three. Blackburn's still in the playoffs, seven points behind Bournemouth. Forest two, 
Peterborough nil goals from James Garner and Ryan Yates won Steve Cooper's boys the three points. But Peterborough now winless in seven and five points from safety. They're starting to look a bit desperate. Dan Walden is from the Peterborough podcast, The Yellow Block. Uh, Dan, what did you make of this game? I think it's a game that perfectly sums up our recent form, to be honest with you. Um, you go back to our win against QPR uh, in the tail end of October. You know, we look like a decent team, like we were starting to come together. You know, you've got players putting in real shifts and it looks like the, the tables are starting to turn. And then you take two points out of the next seven games and and everything's flipped. We're now, you know, severely into the relegation zone. And, you know, I don't think I'm the only posh fan that would say that I'm seriously worried about Derby overtaking us. Um, the the other side of Christmas, so yeah, we, we, you can't expect to get anything out of a game, especially away from home when you have two shots on target and you're not really in the game. You know, arguments could be made for a penalty at half at halfway through the second half, but it is what it is. You know, you can't rely on these lucky penalty calls, and, and we're just not good enough right now. Well, it's starting to look like the bottom three could become a bit cut adrift because the teams outside are picking up results while all the ones in the bottom three, apart from Derby for obvious reasons, aren't. So with that being said, are there any signs of positivity for posh fans? And what would you say is going to be key to you getting out of the position you're in now? The momentum of other teams is is starting to to really you know, put pressure on us. And honestly, with the team that we've got at the moment, I, I can't see that even being remotely beneficial, you know, that pressure's not going to do anything but harm to us because the team's just not capable of playing at this league. I think they've shown that. You know, if you'd asked me the same question sort of six weeks ago, I'd have said, yeah, they're positives, you know, we can knock out results at home and, you know, in general, our performances haven't been that bad. But the recent ones have been and they're against teams that we had to pick up points against. Like, a draw against Barnsley is an awful result for us. We had to win that game because, you know, it's it's obviously an absolute six-pointer, but then you've got teams around us picking up results on the same weekend and we're, we're so, under so much pressure now. And January is massive. Yeah, Dan, I've been getting a bit of flack from Peterborough fans after... I've said about Darren Ferguson not being good enough to manage at this level. But I'm interested to know what you think. Obviously, you gave him a new contract not too long ago. But what are you thinking? Are you starting to think that move may have been a bad idea? See, this is a difficult one. There's arguments for both camps. And I know that seems sort of alarming to anybody that isn't a Peterborough fan. But, you know, historically, we're a club that struggles in the championship anyway and Darren Ferguson has always been the man especially in the last sort of couple of you know, decades to get us out of League One so you know from, from that point of view for the future I can see why we've given him a new deal obviously it makes sense to to just have that fallback preparation in place on the chance that we do go down you know now the very likely chance but my personal opinion and I know it's not one that all posh fans share is that since the new deal, we've not won, which to me just shows that he isn't capable of having that new deal. He's a great manager. I want him to stick the season out, you know, ideally, unless things go really, really bad. But I just don't think he's the man going forward. Thank you, Dan. Peterborough winless in seven without a goal in five games. They are really, really struggling, aren't they, Justin? It's in a bit of an understatement. Um, they're really struggling. Obviously, their away form we know is, is absolutely hopeless. And, um, I mean, going back to the game, they only had one good chance when Dembele was played through on goal and he hit the post. And that just sums up Peterborough's look this season. Um, and it, it might sound harsh, harsh, and they have put in some good performances against Fulham and Stoke, but those good performances aren't being rewarded with goals and wins. And you just they can't buy a, a result for, for love nor money. It's um, They are starting to look pretty... Uh, pretty down at the minute there's not much else to say about pretty they're not giving as much to be able to assess because they just every week it's very very poor yeah well Siviki Dembele had a good chance had he netted that it might have been a different game but otherwise despite it taking Forrest quite a while to score I felt like they would find it eventually and it did which I think is the sad thing about Peterborough really mm -hmm. I personally think they've got a squad good enough to stay up maybe even get into mid-table. I mean, I've made my feelings known about <laughs> Darren Ferguson plenty of times. I won't keep sticking the boot in. Right now, though, it's hard to see anyone else going down than the current bottom three, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, Barnsley have, have shown some signs of life in the last few games. They're becoming a bit harder to beat. Peterborough haven't really adjusted over the last few weeks, maybe a couple of months. Um, and, and I think that's that's they, they, they do need an injection of something, whether that's a new manager or new players in January. They need an injection of something because the current crop of players under Darren Ferguson are on a one-way ticket to back to League One, unfortunately. Yeah. Spot on. It's got to be said, Lewis Graben owns James Garner at least a couple of pints. Dunty for that first goal. The cross has come in and Graben is essentially on the line and he's made a right hash of it and missed. But then, um, well, he's definitely a miss of the season contender for me. But fortunately for him, it fell to James Garner. Um, does it still count as a miss if it eventually goes in? I'm not really sure. Well, it's either the one of the misses of the season or one of the best assists of the season because the vision to back heel it in that position for Lewis Graben, who is an incredibly selfish striker. And I don't mean that as a dig. He's a very, very selfish striker. Um, so for him to provide assist for Garner, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite something. And um, for me, I think it's assist of the season, not miss of the season. That's the biggest crime for me here. Like, Graben's <laughs> been given an assist for this when he is completely scuffed an open goal. And so for future reference, if we ever talk about Graben's goal contributions this season, remember to take an assist off him because I can't be having an assist for that. I really can't. Uh, but just the one loss in 14 games for Forrest now is worth pointing out. There's been a lot of draws in the past month, but slowly climbing up the table, aren't they? How are you feeling about the tricky trees, Justin? I mean, I have been really impressed with them under Steve Cooper. I said, um, I said a couple of weeks ago that they were showing signs of some of the bad traits that were probably left over from the Chris Hutton era, and Steve Cooper's got to try and iron them out, um, and he's slowly doing that. Um, but for me, I think they do need to bring in um, a couple of players in January for them to really start to kick up a gear, and whether or not they can do that is is another thing. But um, I think the job that Steve Cooper's done with this group of players so far has been really, really good, and it's. I wouldn't say it's nothing short of miraculous because it was, it was a good squad. They just needed a coach to bind them together and Steve Cooper's doing that and he's doing a really good job of it. It's a really nice balance that they've got at Forest and I think um, I think the next year or two will be very good under Steve Cooper for, for Forest fans. Yeah, I think you're spot on. They're ticking over quite nicely, aren't they? Since Cooper took over, only Fulham and Bournemouth have won more points than Forest. So they're going in the right direction. And if it carries on, then they won't be too far off the playoffs Mm. at the very least, will they? You'd have thought if they continue this trajectory that they're currently on now. Um, We always seem to have that one team who has a second season surge or second half of the season surge, I should say. And I think Forrest are capable of being that team because they're really tough to score against, aren't they? Midfield is good. Ryan Yates has been exceptional recently. Mm. And then... James Garner is getting back towards the player that we saw last season. Brennan Johnson's dropped off in form, but he's too good a player for that to last for too long. Um, I do really like this Forest team. They've also got loads of depth. So they're ticking a lot of boxes. I'd definitely say they're the team to keep an eye out for, but they have got to stop drawing so many games. (laughs) That's the big problem right now. But 100% Forest are in a handful of teams where I'm looking at right now and thinking, well, if, if the top three are going to be taken up or at least three of the player, uh, three of the top spaces are going to be taken up by Fulham, Bournemouth and West Brom. Then you look in a forest and thinking they're one of the handful of teams who could definitely get in there in the top six come the end of the season. Hmm. Um, let's move on, Justin. Two new managers faced off at the Cardiff City Stadium. Cardiff against Sheffield United. It was a great game as well. Finished 3-2 to the Blades. The game changer came early in the second half when Sean Morrison was sent off when Billy Sharp was through on goal. Cardiff were one up at the time, but from that point, Justin Sheffield United smelt blood and really went to town, didn't they? <laughs> they did. They did. Um, I was really, I'll be honest, I was really impressed with, with both sides here. I thought Cardiff, until Morrison was sent off, were, were good value for uh, something from the game. And I thought Sheffield United um, impressed me as soon as as soon as soon Morrison was sent off. And I think that is that is telling of the jobs that both managers have done. But for Heckingbottom to, to get this out, um, to get more out of this uh, the, the group of players, I think if you kind of, if you're still in charge of that game, I think it either ends in a 1-1 draw or 1-0 to Cardiff. I don't think I see them getting a result under under you kind of it. Uh, so for, I mean, it's, it's just credit to Heckingbottom because... He's, he's getting more out of the likes of Billy Sharp. Gibbs White looks a different player. He was unbelievable in this game. Um, David McGoldrick is, is as dangerous as ever. I think if, if they tighten up defensively, because they were a bit sloppy at times, but that's going to happen when they were as open and as, uh, as attacking as they were. Yeah, well, Gibbs White 
ran the show, didn't he? Scored mm. a worldie, which was just beautiful. Also got two assists and Cardiff just didn't know what to do with him. David McGoldrick was also class. You've got to say, of course, the red card helped things. But two games under Heckingbottom now, two games where I've been impressed. Mm. The system's good. The players look like they've been given a new lease of life. And we talk about Forest being a team to keep an eye out for as the season goes on. Sheffield United are the team to keep an eye out for right now, aren't they? Because they're playing they so well in the two games that we've had. It's only a small sample size, but still playing really well. They sit 10th, only four points off the playoffs. Right now, I'd have to say it looks like it's only going to be a matter of time before they get there, isn't it? I I would agree with you. Yeah, I think we know that they've got the group of players to do it. It's just whether or not they had a manager who could get it out of them. And if they continue, or if Heckingbottom continues to play the players in the right position and get the most out of the players that are currently there, then I think they are good money for, or good value for finishing in that top six. Because as I say, you just look at the quality of players that they've got. They should be at least in and around it. They are. It's just about bridging that next gap now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can't be too critical of Cardiff, can we? Going down to 10 men for so long was always going to be a big ass for them to come away with anything from this game. Worth saying, Alex Smithies has made another save of the season contender. Yeah. That was ridiculous. It's one of them where I urge anyone listening to go search it out. It is a crazy stop that he's pulled off there. Uh, but Cardiff just five points above the bottom three. On Sunday afternoon, it was QPR Stoke finished 2-0 to the visitors. It was really, to give it its proper name, just in the Mario Vrancic show, wasn't it? It was. I mean, that's including the penalty he gave away. But if we if we look towards his uh, attacking displays, his pass for Tyrese Campbell was was fantastic. He was busy as ever, and I think that was something that we were saying at the start of the season that if you put Tyrese Campbell in the Stoke side with Amari Vantrich, who is one of the the most productive creative players in the league, then he's he's going to create chances for you. And we saw that pass for Tyrese Campbell was just fantastic. And then the composure and finish from Campbell itself was, was brilliant. But yeah, Stoke, Stoke managed the game really well here. And um, Rancic was, was in top form and, and, and so was Tyrese Campbell. That, I mean, that assist, you did not give it enough credit and you gave it plenty of credit then. Um, it, it beautifully weighted, accurate as anything. I mean, Tyrese Campbell, you can't ask for much more mm. from a deep-line midfielder like Francis, can you? That was just spectacular. But he's been doing that all season, and he? he has been a mm -hmm. chance-creating machine. I think he has got the most chances created per minute this season. He mm. definitely did do earlier in the season. I, I imagine it's still the case now. But he has just been... An unbelievable signing for Stoke. It's got to be said, considering um, Stoke were, I think, two back-to-back. -back, they they lost back-to-back -back yeah. games before this game, didn't they? So coming into this against a QPR team banging form, it was a difficult task, but they looked good here. QPR did miss some good chances and a penalty, but still, Stoke did look good here. And I think, considering they are just on the edge of the playoffs or in the playoffs, I haven't got the table in front of me, it would be an unbelievable achievement for Stoke to get in the top six now, wouldn't it? Considering they've lost the best defender in the division for my money in Harry Souter, someone who's irreplaceable for my money. You've had Tyrese Campbell, your best attacker, out for what has been more nearly half the season. And then Nick Powell's been missing in periods as well, another key player for them. If Michael O'Neill gets his team in the top six, Justin, it will be a really, really impressive achievement, won't it? It, it, it wouldn't and there's Joe Bosich as well who's who's out until the new year um, so that's the spine of the team that's a, a, a spine of the team with some really good players who would quite easily walk into a lot of probably most championship teams um, so yeah for, for Michael O'Neill to deliver a playoff finish under the current circumstances um, I think would be yeah one of the achievements of the season and I think I know Stoke got some good, good resources but you, you, you can have the biggest squad in the world but if all your best players are injured, um, it's going to be difficult to, to work. So for him to deliver a top six finish um, would be would be miraculous almost. Um, and I think getting the win here against QPR, I didn't give him any hope coming into the game because I just thought they were suffering too many injuries and, and, and some poor form. So for him to get a result here, again, is a massive, massive plus. Yeah, well, QPR did miss chances, didn't they? We've got to talk about that penalty, Justin, <laughs> because Charlie Austin, what are you doing? That was one of the worst penalties I think I've seen that's actually been on target. Would you agree with that? I think so. It looks like he kicked it into the ground, doesn't it? It was a bit of a weird one. I didn't really get a clean connection on it, which is quite poor for saying how experienced and uh, prolific Charlie Austin has been in his career. Yeah, well, Austin has been really disappointing for me this season because when he was on loan last season, he was 
so good, wasn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah. And I thought he was going to be key for them again this season, but he's been really, really poor. I think statistically, he's been one of the least clinical strikers mm. in the division, which you'd be surprised about, considering it is Charlie Austin we're talking about, someone yeah. who has been a prolific goalscorer throughout his career, but he's been really poor. And I, I think... The striker position is QPR's main problem, really. You've got QPR, you've got Charlie Austin, who um, has been poor all season. Andre Gray scored a worldie against Derby, but apart from that, he's only been having cameo appearances, yeah. really, anti. And then Lyndon Dykes has been struggling for fitness all season. So if you've got to pick out one position, that is a problem. I probably would say the striker position, which is surprising, considering you've got two strikers there who have been top scorer in past championship seasons. Yeah. And then Lyndon Dykes, who's a Scotland international, has looked good when he has actually played, but obviously lacking for fitness. So that's a concern for me. You definitely expect better from someone like Charlie Austin and also Andre Gray, actually, as well. Um, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about some controversial refereeing decisions. I know, in the Championship, who'd have thought? Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Back-to-back wins for Chris Wilder at Middlesbrough. They beat Swansea 1-0. The big talking point there was a moment which caused a lot of controversy on Twitter. My timeline has been full of people talking about this, Justin. I'm interested to know what you think. Chris Wilder's attire for this game. Were you a fan? Wait, what was he wearing? Is he wearing a suit again? He was wearing a, a rather flashy coat and mm. I think the most controversial bit was his trousers. Now, I'm colourblind, so I won't be able to tell you what <laughs> colour the, the trousers were, but they, they were blue, I think, maybe even purplish. Um, it, uh, I need it, to... it, it was a weird get-up. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I say, I... That doesn't sound weird when I put it like that. He was yeah. also wearing like a, a fleece up top, so it was, you know, what you'd wear in your lounge up top yeah. and then what you'd wear to a wedding down below. It was a interesting get-up. <laughs> I've, I'll be honest with you, I've been really disappointed with Wilder's attire since he went into Borough. I didn't expect him to wear a suit in the first place, and I know what flashy coat you're on about. Um, mm. I want him to wear... A, I, I, I don't know why. I don't know whether this is offensive to Wilder, but I want him to wear a tracksuit. I see him in a tracksuit. He comes across he, he as a tracksuit guy. Yeah, he's a proper tracksuit manager, isn't he? Yeah, and I don't, I don't know why. I'd, I don't know whether I might be like offending him in some way, but there are some managers and coaches that you just see in tracksuits. Like Corbrand, I just see Corbrand in chinos. Mm. Wilder's tracksuit. That's You've it. Got, you've got Steve Bruce, who's tracksuit manager definition, mm. haven't you? And then you've got, trying to think of a suit manager, Mourinho. Fra- 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 I was going to say Frank Lampard, because he sometimes wore tracksuits as well, and he looks weird in a tracksuit. So suit Frank Lampard, Yes. And Mourinho. I'm glad, I'm glad we've sorted this out. Yeah. yeah. The second most controversial part of the game was Swansea being denied a penalty. Jamie Patterson went down after Luke Daniels came out of goal for Middlesbrough. Penalty or no penalty for you, Justin? I don't think it was a penalty. I really don't. I think Jamie Patterson's. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I thought we were going to open up a debate there. <laughs> no. Um, no, I, I think Jamie Patterson's left his leg in. I think it's really obvious because obviously the referee's got a different angle to the one that me and you have both seen because the one we've seen is adjacent to the incident. Jamie Patterson leaves his leg in on Daniels. It's no penalty. Yeah. Not for me, Jeff. I've seen Swansea fans acting like it's the biggest travesty ever, but <laughs> I've seen plenty of neutrals say it's not a penalty as well. I think Patterson is looking for it. He? He's left his leg yeah. in there, hoping for the contact. And there may be a bit of contact, but there's nowhere near enough for him to go down, is there? So it, I thought I will say, I think the yellow card for diving was a bit harsh. Uh, I don't know, because it reminds me of the O'Hare incident against Sheffield United where... There was contact, but O'Hare's left his leg in and then gone over. Um, so you can mm. understand why the referee's thinking it's a dive. You think he's, you know, he's trying to pull one, pull the wall over uh, the eyes of the referee, and uh, not today, son. Fair. I am aware Jamie Patterson follows us on Twitter, so if you hear this, Jamie, sorry, but no penalty <laughs> from us. Sol Bamba's assist that deserves a shout, doesn't it, Justin? I mean, I think it's got to be said it looks better than it probably is. Because yeah. the defending was questionable. Because <laughs> Jones has got no one near him for some reason. He's just gone straight through on goals. So you look like I've just made a questionable statement there. I know. I was going to say, if we're praising Vranches's uh, assist for Tyrese Campbell, then um, I think we've got to give Solbamba as much praise. I mean, Solbamba doesn't pull this off every day like Vrancic does. So for, for it to come from a centre-half who is not known for his ball-playing ability, 
abilities, as Borough fans will attest to from that Preston game. Um, this is very <laughs> impressive from Bamba. Yeah, it's very uh, much night and day isn't it, when you think of uh, that incident. Paddy McNair's goal line clearance as well. Yeah. That was uh, very, yeah, very, very good. Nice. All in all, I'd put this down as deserved three points for Chris Wilder's men against a good Swansea side. Just four points off the top six now. They're almost bearing down on the playoffs, aren't they? Um, I, the, the, I put them and Sheffield United in a category of, and, and Forest actually, in a category of, I think if they have a good second half of the season, then top six is looking good um, because there are teams that are above them are, that are struggling for form. So I'd put those three teams in that in that category of if they have a good run, then I think they can get in. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Borough do in January because I think they do need to strengthen and I think they probably will strengthen. Mm-hmm. But if they do, then yeah, top six looking like a really good bet, especially because Wilder is clearly getting a tune out of these players now. Issue is... All of a sudden, we've got quite a few teams who are looking quite good for the top six. So it's really up for grabs at the moment. Um, and I think it's only going to put pressure on uh, the, the the likes of West Brom, for example, yeah. who yeah. Uh, throughout the season we thought will be a cert for the top six, but maybe not despite getting the uh, win um, this weekend. Back-to-back losses for Swansea. Their form has just dropped off. And I tell you what, they've got some tricky games in December, Justin. Could say it's a season-defining month for them. It, it perhaps is, but I think the issue that Swansea have got is they're just missing some real quality in a couple of areas. Uh, I think they do need to get to January and recruit. Because again, if they can pick up form, I don't think they're, they're, there's not a team that can get near them when, when Swansea play really, really well. So if they do bring in the right players, I think they're just three um, three players away from being a top, top side. A centre-half, another striker in the number nine mould and possibly another number 10 to take the pressure off Jamie Patterson. I think if they can bring those three players in, um, I think they can make a push for the top six as well. It's a fair assessment. God, there was a bit of controversy in the Reading v Hall game, wasn't there? It finished one all. Before we give a lot of airtime to penalty shouts, Justin, can we talk about Tom Holmes's goal? We have to. We have to. It was uh, an, an incredible... His first senior goal as well is it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for it to be an overhead kick. Like, if he retires tomorrow, he's going to talk about this to every single grandchild he has. Um, overhead kick, first senior goal for the club that he grew up supporting. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, rightly so. Can we agree it's an overhead kick? Into it? It's not a bicycle kick. I, it's, a struggle, it's a struggle to define what is an overhead in a bicycle because it gets mishmashed with all the like the techers stuff with Soccer AM, doesn't it? And all the skill I, videos I, you see on social. Yeah, I, I always go overhead kick. This was an overhead kick where yeah. he's properly kicked it over his head, whereas a bicycle kick is kind of a side one. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Yeah, that's how I would define it as well. Mm, yeah, okay. we agree. Glad we got yeah. that sorted. Yeah, here we go then, Justin. How many penalties should Reading have had? Two. There was two, wasn't there? Two. Okay, I, I would have gone one personally. The the, the, the oh, I was struggled to say this guy's name. The Deshaun Bernard tackle on John Swift was a blatant penalty for yeah. me. It's Stonewall. I'm not sure how the referee hasn't given it, or at least the assistant, who's only a matter of metres away from it, by the way. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the referee's thinking. Does he think Bernard's got the ball? I can't see how he would think that Bernard's got the ball from it- where he is. It's a really clumsy tackle, um, and it's it's quite a shame because John Swift's really good work Um it isn't got hasn't gone rewarded and um, as you quite say the officials are very close to it and this the clumsiness and the arms go straight up like oh I haven't touched him that's when you know it's a penalty yeah I, I struggled to get my head around how the referee's not given that to be honest the second one I'm not a strong on I've seen them given I've also not seen them given I don't really have any strong feelings on that one do you I, I think it was a penalty because I think obviously Andy Carroll's headed it down and it, it's hit poor, I mean, poor Bernard. He could have given away two penalties here. But it's hit his hand on the way down and it's changed the flight of the ball because the ball could have gone into a path of a running player. And for me, that is handball. Not deliberate, but it's handball. You say poor Bernard. He's had two good penalty shouts against him not given. If okay, l- lucky Bernard, yeah. Lucky Bernard, yeah. Um, I-, I tell you what, Hull have been fortunate with some refereeing decisions this season, haven't they? Mm-hmm. They had that Birmingham one not long ago where the ball was miles out and now they've mm-hmm. yeah, had two true. here as well. But uh, you've, got to have, you've got to ride your luck sometimes, haven't you? Hull equalised after a clangor by Luke Southwood. Malik Wilkes shoots for miles out and... It just basically goes through Southwood, doesn't he? It was a really poor goalkeeping from him. And he's been really good this season. So it was a bit mm. surprising on that account. All in all, Reading will be wondering how they didn't win because also they missed some good chances. A draw 
does help both clamber away a bit further from the bottom three, though, doesn't it? Luton got their first win in five by beating Blackpool 3-0. Considering Luton haven't been very good recently, this was quite the turnaround, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's quite weird as well. It seems to be hurricane season in the Northwest. Obviously, the Blackburn game was horrendous. And then this one, I think Nathan Jones described the conditions as apocalyptic. But yeah, Luton were, were good value for the win. I think Blackpool had a couple of chances early on in the game. Could have made it a different different outcome, but it didn't take them. And um, differences Luton did. And they stood strong when they had to because James Shea pulled off a couple of worldy saves. Some good goalkeeping this weekend as well, as well as some bad refereeing. You've just got me thinking when you were saying Nathan Jones was saying the the weather was apocalyptic. I'm now thinking which manager would be best to be in, you know, a what's it called? A nuclear bunker with if mm-hmm. uh, if the world were to end and it was the apocalypse. I, yeah. I don't think Nathan Jones would be good. I, I imagine he'd It'd be intense. Quite irritating he? actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it always he always bites his fingernails, doesn't he? He's a very stressful character, so yeah. I mean if yeah. if it's like a zombie apocalypse and we've got to roam around the world and walking around, and I'd argue Nathan Jones would be good in that situation. Yeah, but to be I sat in a bunker with, with yeah, be sat in a bunker with probably not. I might, well, Warnock we can't say now because obviously mm. he's not there. I think Wilder would probably be the one, wouldn't he? He'd be someone you'd like. He'd, he'd, he'd have good banter, wouldn't he? He'd always be positive. He'd always he'd always know what to do, and he comes across as making a he'd he'd come across as the type of person to make a really good cup of tea and coffee. And he'd get the best out of you when you need to fight zombies. Um, where were we? Yeah, James Shea had to make some really good saves in the Luton goal, didn't they? Uh, they were mostly from distance, to be fair to Luton, because mm-hmm. I, I think they defended really well here. It was really good stuff from them, really. Yeah. Jordan Clark, really good in particular. I'm hoping this means Luton will get back on track, because I do really like them as a side. They have got Fulham next weekend, which obviously won't be easy. We were waxing lyrical. About Blackpool not long ago, weren't we, Justin? They're now six games without a win, just two goals in those games as well. They are struggling a bit, aren't they? Yeah, goalless in the in the last four, um, as well as that. So yeah, it's it's one of those things where they're getting players returning to full fitness. So I don't think Critchley in that time has had his his full strength squad to work with. So if he gets all those players back and then back going, and also I don't I don't think it's quite. Bad to say, but I don't think the weather helped yesterday because it got some really good, tricky technical players. And with the conditions being as bad as they, are, uh, as bad as they were, you're not going to get the best out of them, mainly because the pitch is going to be heavy and, and soggy. Um, so that's not going to help the likes of Bowler, Anderson uh, and whatnot. But I think um, I think getting the players back to full fitness is, is the key for for Blackpool. It didn't, didn't help that Chris Maxwell made two clangers in this game either. I think, again, if he doesn't make those clangers it's a slightly different game which again is not something we'd say often with Maxwell who was brilliant before he got injured but yeah just getting players back to full fitness for Blackpool will get them back on track for me I just think Blackpool are probably levelling out now to be honest the reality of the situation is they haven't got a squad chock full of unbelievable talent Blackpool fans didn't like it before when I said that but I I just didn't think their squad was that good and I still think that is the case of course they've got some players who are very good the likes of Lavery Ekpateta Bowler mm-hmm. but by and large I think it's an okay squad with a very very good manager and listen that's not a cynical criticism when you remember how much this squad costs compared to other championship sides it's always going to be tough for Blackpool to break through that ceiling but in the long term they are capable of doing it sure they're not going to get results now but I think they'll be fine and I can see them finishing solidly in mid-table which by the way when you take a step back is a great season for Blackpool isn't it and Mm -hmm. then they just go from there and build for the future Uh, one of the many Gary Rowett derbies Justin Millwall v Birmingham finished 3-1 first time Millwall have scored three in a game this season prior to this they'd only scored two goals in a game just three times but I think this is the best I've seen of Millwall this season Justin it's probably the best I've seen in Millwall for a long time. Um, I thought they were they were brilliant, and um, they made Birmingham look like a very very poor team. Um, and that's not to say Birmingham are a poor team because they're not. We know they're not. But Millwall made them look really really poor. They were energetic. They were picking up loose balls, um, and they were a constant threat. And obviously the goals that they created, um, they made they made Birmingham City look really crap. To be honest. Um, and I mean, it's quite an indictment to to Birmingham City, but Millwall made them look like that, and that's a positive for for them. Has Murray Wallace scored more than Jed Wallace in the last sort of ten games? I'm sure he has. Every time I look at um, 
my phone and check the Millwall score. Murray Wallace seems to crop up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so he must be up there. Um, but yeah, he, he played really well. Billy Mitchell was really good in the middle mm-hmm. of the park as well. Yeah. I thought Dan McNamara was excellent yeah. at wing back. So yeah, loads of positives with Millwall. Now up to eighth. Only three points off the top six. So going well. I, I, my gut feeling is... I, I can't see them staying there. I think they're a team better suited. But nonetheless, you can't take anything away from them right now. They are uh, ticking over quite nicely. But you're quite right. Birmingham weren't great at all, really. The only positive was Troy's Deeney and uh, his goal, which was just exceptional, Justin. That's, that's the quality he brings to this team, though. And it's it's annoying that they can't. Well, he can't do that consistently for whatever reason. But I think... Um, they were they were clearly just asleep in in this game. That's what it felt like, and that's why Millwall first or everything. But that Dini goal, it's just a shame that they couldn't build it because, as you say, it was brilliant. And they bring that quality more often into these into these tight games, and they will get they will pick up more results. Yeah, well, it's only its third goal of the season, exactly, and they do need more from him. You'd have thought on paper that a strike partnership of Scott Hogan and Troy Dini would be great at championship level wouldn't you mm. but they've only scored a handful of goals between them so that is we've said it before and we've said it again I just don't understand why these strikers don't score more goals really considering they all have got very high scoring seasons under their belts but for yeah. some reason it doesn't happen more but this is signs of what they can do because that was an exceptional one-two with a Hogan and then the finish was class as well Bristol City won at home again they beat Derby 1-0, Alex Scott getting the goal. Bristol City just can't stop winning at home now, Justin. I know, back-to-back uh, home wins for the first time since January 2020, which is, well, no, sorry, January this year. That'll be a long time if it was that was the case. But no, they were they were good value for the win. There wasn't much there wasn't much in this game at all. Both teams sort of struggled to create some clear-cut chances. Bristol City were much the better side. Um, I think Nigel Pearson was quite disappointed that they didn't make more of the game. Um because Chris Martin had a good chance as well, but Bristol City, good value for the win, and Alex Scott, again, really good performance from him. I thought he was brilliant. He took his goal really well. The thing that I liked about this goal is, in that position, it's his weaker foot. He's coming on, he's coming onto it at a pace. It's one of them where you just fly over the bar, isn't it? But he put it straight through into, into the back of the net. It was, great. it was a great finish. Well, that's what I love about him, because he's clearly, for someone who is just 18, can't emphasise that enough, just 18, but he, he's so composed and... He's just got great intelligence for someone so young, which is why I think he's going to be a really, really good player. Uh, But you're quite right. Neither team made many chances. It was only a save each for both goalkeepers in this game. But not long ago, the Robins were looking over their shoulder, but have got some breathing space now. Ten points clear of the bottom three. So going in the right direction under Pearson. Derby, though, continuing to linger at the bottom of the table, unsurprisingly, it's got to say. Only the second time they've lost back-to-back games, though. A sign of how they're not just laying down and accepting relegation, no matter how obvious it may seem. And finally, Poya Aspargi got his first point as Barnsley boss. They drew one all with Huddersfield. Poya Aspargi's first goal as well as Barnsley boss. They looked all right here, didn't they, Barnsley? They looked a lot better than they have been in, in previous. They're proving a difficult side to beat, which is probably a very good start because, <laughs> I mean, the second bottom, so they were an easy side to beat before as Barnsley came in. Um, and obviously, Carlton Morris getting back amongst the goals is massive because he's a player that I really like. He's a good ball carrier, good finisher. Um, I think if they can get him and um, Corley Woodrow playing well in that final third, then they will start to score more goals as well, which is clearly the problem for Barnsley this season. Yeah, well, Woodrow's form has been pretty poor. He's another one who's been one of the least clinical strikers in the division, which is really surprising because he's mm. been a consistent goal scorer for the past few seasons now in the Championship anti. So that's a shock. Meanwhile, Huddersfield's playoff push rapidly fading away into it. One win in six for them now. They've now dropped down to 11th when I think they're in the playoffs only a few weeks ago, weren't they? So, mm. yeah, concerning there for Mr. Corberan. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and shock horror. We're starting off with Derby County. The Daily Mail is reporting Derby face liquidation unless HMRC write off more than £20 million worth of debt. It says that it's spoken to some of those privy to the financial situation at the club and the fear the Rams are sleepwalking towards oblivion and that the optimism of the administrators is not reflective of reality. Justin, as a Derby fan, are you shaking in your boots right now? 
I've, I've been shaking in my boots since it was announced that Derby are going to administration because this has always been a possibility. Um, it was. It seemed like a nonsensical article for me just to stir up trouble not trouble but unrest amongst supporters um i do i do think that it, i mean that the administrators need to get the finger out and you told me off for saying that when they were first appointed um because yeah of, you, well you said get the finger out when they've been in the job for a few days <laughs> but I, I, i've read another article um from the athletic actually who were very sort of open and honest about derby's process and it feels like the administrators are not dragging their heels but they could be doing things a lot quicker um so that i think this the situation with derby it needs to be resolved quickly um but they obviously need to sort something out and um, but we always knew this was the case we always knew that if something wasn't settled with hmrc that liquidation was a possibility because any club with the amount of debt that derby have quite right should be looking over the shoulder they've been sleepwalking since 2020 under mel morris let's be honest to 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 oblivion that is well it just makes you scratch your head as to what on earth was going through the the boards the board the heads of the board when they are in more than 20 million pounds to the tax man like what what are you actually doing because if if you owe money to other clubs sure it's a bit naughty but you can get away with it but when you're owing the government more than 20 million pounds that's a that's when things are a bit more questionable because you don't want to mess with the government um so yeah that's a that's scary for derby and liquidation is obviously a possibility isn't it you keep hearing people say it's derby it's too big a club for them to go out of business there's there's no bigger club there's no bigger club for it for for administration and liquidation right i see what you mean whatever happens whoever the new owner is has got to you know they've got to solve a lot of uh, a lot of problems at the club isn't it and this is probably the biggest problem of all this debt that they own um, to HMRC but Derby's administrators say they hope to complete the sale of the club by the end of next month so we'll wait and see on that Sheffield United midfielder John Fleck has been given the all clear to return to training it's after he collapsed on the pitch during the game at Reading a couple of weeks ago which is good news isn't it mm-hmm. Nottingham Forest have submitted updated plans to redevelop the city grounds and new proposals to transform its training facilities Work had been due to get underway on the stadium last summer, starting with knocking down and rebuilding the Peter Taylor stand. That was put on hold, though, with delays in the planning process cited. Um, is the city ground one of those grounds, Justin, that you go to and think, yeah, this could do with a bit of a makeover? Um, I need to be careful what I say, don't I? Um, it, I love the city ground, uh, and that's coming from a Derby fan, uh, but it, it does need it does need sorting out. The Peter Taylor stand, I've been in the dressing rooms and they are they are very tired um it, you know it's a it's a throwback to the uh, the 70s and 80s in that stand and um yeah i think getting getting that stand sorted is uh will be, will be a very good good thing for the fans that have tickets in that stand a 34 year old man has been banned from all football matches for five years and given a four-month suspended prison sentence after making racist gestures and remarks during Millwall's game away at West Brom. Kane Lewis was in the away end at the Hawthorns when he was spotted by officers on duty at their game in September. Stoke have signed former Millwall goalkeeper Frank Fielding amidst a host of injury problems at the club. He is just the ultimate backup goalkeeper for any championship side, isn't he? He is. I'm surprised that no clubs picked him up yet. Goalkeepers have been in a weird situation this season because obviously Borough haven't been able to bring in a proper number one. Um, they feel like they've had two number twos playing throughout the season, and, and um, it's, it's same with Stoke actually. Obviously with with Davis and and, and Bursic. but yeah, Frank Fielding, ultimate number two, definitely. Absolutely. And a Blackburn fan has found fame on the other side of the world after his tattoo of Ben Brereton Diaz became big news in Chile. Lewis Hamill said he decided to have the striker inked on his stomach because it fitted in with the rest. A friend shared a picture of it on social media where it soon got picked up by football fans in Chile. It was then featured on Chilean TV where he admitted he was mad. Justin, if you could get any player tattooed on your body, who would it be? Oh, um, I don't know. Frank Ribery. <laughs> oh my God, I was not expecting that. No, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Frank Ribery it is. Uh, we should have asked that in the polls. Damn it, why didn't I think of this? Anyway, it's poll time, ladies and gentlemen. This is the part of the show where we give our listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Which of these teams is most likely to finish in the playoffs this season? Coventry, Middlesbrough, QPR, Sheffield United. 
Sheffield United. I would go Sheffield United as well. I think QPR are good money for finishing in the playoffs right now, but Sheffield United look like they're bearing down on the top six at this point. So that's why I'd go Sheffield United. 50% of people said QPR. 20% said Sheffield United. 17% said Middlesbrough. Only 13% said Coventry. If Blackburn get a bid of £20 for Ben Brereton-Diaz, should they sell, yes or no? Yeah, definitely. That's a lot of money for a championship club. So yeah, definitely sell. 85% of people said yes, 15% said no, so that's a massively gone in the favour of sell. And finally, have you got an advent calendar this year, yes or no? I do not have an advent calendar, no. Why not? You're, you're such a Scrooge, Justin. I'm not last a Scrooge. Week you were, last week, you were disgusted by the idea of Christmas songs, and now <laughs> you don't have an advent calendar. No, I, to be fair, we, I do normally get one, but this year, it's just I completely forgot about it. December came around very quick, and um, we, you know trying to keep off the keep off the Christmas weight so good good way to start is not have an advent calendar you've been trying to keep off the Christmas weight but yeah, I didn't realise <laughs> should have told, told your stomach um, <laughs> that was mean I'm sorry Justin yeah, that, that was a horrible thing to say wow wow I, I think you're in great shape right now it's time for this hi Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight time. Welcome back to the show. John Spark from the Bournemouth YouTube channel, Cherry's Red Army, and Louis Bent from the Baggies podcast. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight longest serving Premier League clubs not to win the Premier League, and Louis would say Everton, that's one down, and John would say Spurs, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So we saw the Scott Parker derby on Friday night. He's played for a few clubs in his time. In total, he's played for and managed eight different clubs. Can you name them? I think this goes without saying, but any club he's played for and managed counts as just one. So just make sure that's got across before we get into this. Um, John, we'll go to you first. You can have the tap in if you want. I think I'll take that tapping as well. We'll go with Bournemouth. Yeah, absolutely. He's managed Bournemouth since July. Feels like the kind of club he would have played for as well, but hasn't, surprisingly. Um, Louis, we'll go to you next. Uh, I'll go for West Ham. I think he was very good for West Ham back in the day. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take West Ham off, I think. He was very good for West Ham. He had four years at the Hammers and was included in the PFA Team of the Year with them. Justin, your go. Started his career at Charlton, didn't he? He absolutely did. Made numerous appearances for the Addicts. So you've got three so far. All three of you still in. John, back to you. Um, so I believe I remember hearing, although I hope he played for them, but I remember him speaking about him being around the Chelsea squad when they were a title-winning team. So Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. He was there for the 2004 season. Didn't play much in a season and a half there, but moved for £10 million. So it was quite expensive at the time. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So you're halfway through. Uh, Louis, your go. Uh, I'll take Fulham, I think, for this one. Yeah, I'm surprised no one said Fulham yet. It's yeah. <laughs> another tap-in, really. Uh, had a spell there as a player and a manager. So you have got three to go. Justin? You went to Newcastle under Graham Souness. He absolutely did. He made 55 appearances for Newcastle over two seasons. It's going to be tricky now. You've got two left. John, it's your go again. I believe he played for Spurs. He did. He made 50 appearances for Spurs over two seasons. That means there's three of you left. There's one left. And I'm not surprised it's this one left. I'm not sure if you guys are going to get this unless some some of you here is a massive Scott Parker super fan. But we'll wait and see. Louis, do you know who it is? I have absolutely no idea. I, I may just have a guess at a random like London club or something. I feel like he may have may have been been somewhere around London. Uh, I'll, go for, I'll, I'll have a punt at QPR because I genuinely haven't got a clue. He didn't play for QPR. Fair that enough. is incorrect. So Louis out. Um, I'm guessing Justin and John, you don't have a clue either. Am I right in saying that? I don't. No. Okay. No, right. In that case. Um, I'll give you a clue. It's a loan spell he had. He only made six appearances, but they're a club currently in the Premier League, if that helps. Justin, sure go, by the way. All right. Um, club currently in the Premier League. Um, was the... It's got to be a London club. 
uh, outside of London, Watford. It's not Watford, I'm afraid. So Justin's out. That means, John, it's down to you. It sounds like it's going to be a stab in the dark, whatever it is. But uh, do you have any idea? Yeah. Um, I, no, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but if it's a club going out on loan, he started at Charlton. So it's, if you start at Charlton and he's going to get loaned out to a lower team, then Brentford? It's not Brentford. Oh, that, that's who I would have gone for as well because he did just seem to play for London clubs all the time, didn't he? The club you were looking for was Norwich. Uh, mm. Yeah, six appearances in the year 2000. So, yeah, it completely passed me by as well. I knew that was going to be a tricky one, but uh, there you go. You failed at Sam and Grayson's Hateful Eight, unfortunately, boys. It feels like a lot of people have lost recently. I don't think we've won in a long time, have we, Justin? No, we haven't. I, I thought before you went on to that last one, I thought we'd, we'd smashed it. I thought we would, we'd got it. And then you said, there's one more left. And I was like, oh, God, I've, I've exhausted my Scott Parker knowledge. Yep. <laughs> yep, pretty much. He played for a lot of London clubs. I think I'm right in saying he played for a different club every time he had an England cap early on in his career. It's hmm. really interesting. There you go. Anyway, let's move on from Scott Parker knowledge to the end of the show. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Tier Podcast, wherever you are. I forgot what the podcast was called then. Um, we'll be back again on Thursday to preview all of the games next weekend, or some of the games anyway, and talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. So thank you to our guests on the show this week. John Spark from the Bournemouth YouTube channel, Cherry's Red Army. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me again. The event from the Baggies podcast. Thank you for your time today. Absolute pleasure, Ryan. Cheers for having me on. No problem, my man. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. <laughs>